Good morning, Hillside. It's so good to see you all. If only, if only I could see you all. I still, I still have you in my heart. You know, we are told that we are living into a new normal, whatever that means. Uh, a new reality of some sort. I wonder what is your reality? And who gets to define your reality? I'm going to read from the New Testament, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, and I'm assuming that most of you are interested in what he has to say. So listen carefully to these words. It creates a very interesting and a very different perspective as we process this reality. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You died and are raised again. This was a rescue operation. This is what Christ accomplished on the cross. And then by his resurrection, he invites us into new life. And so we are changed, and we have a whole new perspective on what it is life. this life is about. God's design being worked out in our lives. Your life is hidden with Christ. That means we belong to him. We are part of him. We are, we are part of his movement. We are part of his family, even more importantly, even more intimately. We are safe. We are protected. Christ is your life, Paul says. He's the meaning of life. He's the centerpiece. He's, he's the reason you get up. He's, he's the fulfillment of the design that was originally God's when he chose us before the foundation of the world. So then, if this is true, if you believe this, if this is a, a growing appreciation and awareness of yours, then set, or should we say reset your hearts, reset your affections, reset your mind, reset your thoughts on things above. Don't look to the left or to the right for the, the direction you need, but look above. Look to him. You can listen to the media or follow a political party with absolute allegiance or sit in the echo chamber and listen to everybody else who agrees with what you already know or you can pay attention above and beyond all of that, all of the noise, all of the clamor, all of the discord, all of the division of this crazy time and listen to the call of Christ. Do you hear his voice above the rest? Read the word of God. Does it have final authority above and beyond the, the claims of anything else in this, in this world? Might want to stop for a moment and just pause and see if that is true for you. In this perfect storm, while we are processing a, a pandemic that is rampaging around the world, while we are, are enduring a, an economic downturn, to say the least, a recession, perhaps a depression, the, the reckoning on race and the protests and, yes, the riots and the violence as well and all the political turmoil and, and, and chaos 
How do we keep ourselves straight? How do we keep ourselves sane? Who do we trust the most above and beyond all the other voices? If, in fact, we recognize that he gets to set reality for us, for you, then there's a transformation that takes place. That transformation is also part of Paul's message in Colossians chapter 3. Let me read it for us. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Rid yourselves of all anger, rage, malice, slander, and shameful language. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Put to death the anger that settles in. It's like a knot in your gut. Yes, of course, anger can be a transient emotion. Um, we, We need to have some sort of alert when something is wrong, but not to live there, not to stay there. That anger becomes so easily rage. And that rage becomes malice, which is hatred. And that malice turns into slander. We start talking about individuals or or whole groups of people in a way that might have a a seedling of truth to it, but is exaggerated, is amplified into a great big lie that drives even more malice and hatred and antagonism. And the, the language that comes out of us sometimes embarrassing as I listen to it or hear it coming out of me as I have a reactive moment, not responding to God, but reacting to circumstances around me. That language that is abusive and shameful, meant to shame somebody else, but actually shames me. Put to death the old man, the old me, the old self-centered person who is so insecure, either because I have to make myself larger than life and I get lost in my own pride or because I I fall into self-loathing and feel like I'm worthless. I know who I am. I know who I belong to. I know what what my, my identity is in Christ. And so I put aside that which I formerly instinctively just followed and now I'm listening to a new voice. I'm following someone else, someone I totally trust, someone who can fulfill God's design for me and for you. I'm moving now in a, in a, in a different direction. And, there, and there's renewal that takes place, according to Paul. There's a, there's a new creation that's happening. There's a new community that results from that. And so we're moving forward into that direction. And when we do, we reset our relationships. Now we're kind of getting to the heart of this message. I think the heart of what Paul is, is trying to to communicate with people who are coming from all kinds of backgrounds, having formerly listened to all kinds of, of, of other voices. And so he says, here, in this place, in this reality, listening to the voice of God and following the lead of Christ, there is no race, he says. And what he means by that, of course, there's diversity because God created that diversity and we we celebrate that. It's a beautiful thing, actually, but there's no judgment about race. There's no hierarchy of racial distinctions. You know that the race itself is a a social um, convention. And usually it's brought up to 
elevate someone or demean someone else because we like to know where we are in this pecking order and are we above? We like to be above. We tend to put people down. We elevate ourselves and uh, we isolate because we're more comfortable that way. Well, it's not so in the kingdom of God as a part of his new creation. The Jews and the Gentiles that Paul specifically mentions here, of course, is the, is the great divide in that ancient world, especially from the, the Jewish point of view. They held, them, they held each other in mutual contempt. They despised each other. The Jews looking down upon the, the Gentiles, those who were not Jews, and those Gentiles, those more civilized in their own minds, looked down upon the Jews as this, these odd creatures who were very arrogant about what they believed. But Christ came, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, to destroy the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles and to make of these two groups that were alienated from each other in so many ways, in so many profound ways, to make them into one and to prove that God had invaded this world with his reconciling love. There is no race, no racial hierarchy not in the kingdom of God. There is no religion. You can almost hear John Lennon singing in the background. And what Paul means by that is there are no external markings that distinguish one group from the other. There's circumcision and uncircumcision. It was a Jewish practice. And there was great pride taken in that practice and in those markings that, that made them separate from the world. And Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything, count for anything. Only faith working through love, he says in Galatians chapter 5. This is, this is really important, obviously, to this apostle, to the Gentiles. This, this Jewish man, this Pharisee of the Pharisees, who is magnificently converted into someone who is ready to embrace the world in the name of Christ, to become all things to all people, so that by all means possible he might reach some of them, maybe all of them. That would be his, that would be his passion. So there's no racial discrimination allowed in the kingdom. It's not even conceivable because we're all created in the image of God and God sent his son to reach this world with his radical love and forgiveness. There's no religious, denominational, self-righteous preening allowed. There's no cultural um, hierarchy here as well. He talks about, of course, those who would consider themselves civilized and, and others who are barbarians and even the Scythians who were the lowest of the low, the most pagan of all from the point of view of the, the world system, and they were uh, completely excluded, and they're also invited into an experience and appreciation of God's invasion of our world with his love. Even the Scythians, I wonder who you consider a Scythian, someone who's beneath you, someone who's is just too different, um, who's just too offensive from, in terms of your tastes, someone who's, a, who's strange and a stranger, someone who might even be an enemy of yours. And now in this kingdom you're called to, to meet the stranger and to care about them. You're called to, to love your enemies. This is uh, beyond our ability to conceive of, especially right now in the middle of this perfect storm when we're um, so anxious about so many things and so driven by fears. 
and, and sad about losses. It's, it's hard for us to open our hearts up. Everything inside of us shrivels. That's the, the natural tendency. But if we have this perspective, if we're looking above, if we're resetting our hearts and resetting our minds, something powerful happens to transform us and reset our relationships. I was driving in the Central California Valley one day, and I was uh, crossing over from uh, Highway, 5, Highway 5 um, to Highway 99 going down to Fresno. And I was going a bit too fast, and I was pulled over by a cop for speeding, I presumed. Um, dead to rights, I was caught. And he pulled over somebody else also in front of me, Did pulled two of us over. So he went to the other car first, and then he came up to my window and... Uh, told me that I had been going uh, a certain speed, and I agreed, and I was ready to uh, receive my, my just punishment, which hopefully wouldn't be too much. And he said, I'm going to give you a warning today, if you'll promise to slow down. I said, yes, officer, of course I will. He said, but I'm going to give the other guy a ticket. Okay, I'm not sure why you're telling me that, but, or, or why you're doing that. And at that moment, he handed over the driver's license of the other guy. And the other guy, by his picture and by his last name, is Hispanic. So I get off, and the other guy gets a ticket. Why is that? I was very happy to uh, experience the privilege of that moment of being uh, Anglo. But I felt a little tug on my heart. It didn't feel right. Of course, I I drove off with uh, no penalty. In this world... We know, and we should know as Christians, and we should know as people who, who look at the Bible and see the Bible as, as a kind of mirror reflecting a reality about us, not always a pleasant reality, kind of painful, that of course we are, we are sinners. And there is personal evil committed by individuals like, like me, like driving too fast and driving unsafely. And then there's structural evil that has grown up over generations, generational sin, we call it. And it becomes kind of embedded in the society. And there are certain traditions, and not all of them are are laws or uh, specifically stated, but we, we see the effect of this, and we kind of wonder about it. And if we're above and beyond it and not affected by it, we don't think about it a lot, frankly. And I drove away and haven't hardly thought about it since because uh, it was not a problem for me. There is individual sin and there is systemic sin. There are ordinary sinners like you and me and then there are principalities and powers that inhabit and even possess institutions and turn them evil. We've seen that happen and we complain about that and of course there are political consequences of that but we know at the heart of it something has gone wrong and God has intersected our world and calls us out by his prophets and then invites us into this this transcendent reality that he sends to us but intends for us to live out right here in all of our relationships. The relationship of slave to free in the ancient world was, of course, a great divide. If you were a citizen or a slave, you lived in two different universes. And Paul says, in the body of Christ, (coughs) excuse me, there is no slave or free. Paul writes a letter to his friend Philemon, who's a slave owner and a brother in Christ. 
And he says, I'm sending to you a runaway slave who stole from you, came to me. I'm sending him back to you now. I want you to receive him back no longer as a slave, but as a brother. I want you to receive him as you would receive me, and I'm your good friend. It's an early abolitionist tract is what it is. It took a while for these seed thoughts to become a revolution in our world. And it still takes a response from us to live Christ's call in our world. Had a chance to travel in Africa, in East Africa. I went to a country called Rwanda with International Justice Mission back in the 90s. And Rwanda had experienced a terrible genocide uh, in the 90s. I was actually there in the 2000s. The genocide was in the 90s. In about 100 days, perhaps as many as 800,000 or more people were killed like in hand-to-hand combat. And it was a, an intertribal rivalry that did it. Evil beyond imagining. The front page of uh, the, the cover of Time magazine, the, the, the week they reported on this was um, when hell was in session. And literally, it was hell on earth. Why did that happen? How does that happen? It's more than just you know, individual prejudice that causes that. There are two tribes primarily in Rwanda, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And you can't tell them apart, at least I couldn't tell them apart. They look the same to me. There's really no difference that I could tell. There are some stereotypes. They never made any sense to me, but it does if you're in the system. If you're outside, you're going, what are you doing here? What's happening here? Well, it was the Belgians that ran Rwanda for decades who elevated the Tutsis over the Hutus. The Tutsis were the minority the Hutus the majority, and that was their way of keeping the Hutus down and keeping rebellion from happening. So it worked for them. It helped them manage their colony. But at some point, the Hutus rose up because they were constantly offended by the privilege of the Tutsis, and there was this terrible payback. There are whole systems in our world. I mean, we we believe in the reality of evil, the reality of Satan who conspires to kill us and rob us and turn us against each other and ruin God's good creation. And we're supposed to be part of the reversal of that, the reversal of the curse that Christ, in fact, has accomplished on the cross and by his resurrection and now in the calling of his people and the creating of this beloved community that is for all of us, all of us. When I was at Hillside... I was pastor there for 12 years. I left exactly 25 years ago this month. Seems like it was yesterday in some ways. And at some point along the way, it seemed to me that our church in Walnut Creek, a fantastic church having a great experience, we needed a broader view of the kingdom of God. Walnut Creek being white, other parts of the Bay Area not so much, more colorful, more of a mosaic. And so I went exploring, and I found a friend, a new friend in Oakland, in West Oakland, at True Vine Missionary Baptist Church, Pastor Carey, and he and I developed a relationship. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if now our congregations could meet each other and something that God wants to see happen could happen? And we're going to cross some lines. We're going to fill in some gaps, and God's going to work on our hearts. 
And uh, it, it's going to be a good thing, even though I don't know how it can happen, and it's always very complicated when we start kind of moving out of our, 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 our routines that we're so comfortable with. And uh, we, we did build a good relationship, and there were a few things that began to happen kind of tentatively. But then came the riots in L.A., 1992, the Rodney King riots. South Central L.A. is going up in flames. We're watching it on a Wednesday night. I call up my friend, Pastor Kerry, uh, uh, and, and, and we're talking about this. And I know that Oakland is at risk. It's a tinderbox. I said, we've got to get our churches together. Can we do that? He said, yes. <clears throat> I said, well, Sunday morning, why don't we gather our churches and invite our churches to come together? Let's, let's, let's talk about this, first of all, to our people from Scripture, and then let's come together on Sunday night. I want to invite you to come to Walnut Creek, and, uh, and we'll, we'll, have a, we'll, have a, we'll have an evening together. And he said, no, we're, we are not coming to Walnut Creek. I want to invite you to come to Oakland. I thought to myself, come to Oakland at night? on a Sunday night, especially during this season, uh, when there's such tension in the air. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure about this. You know, my friends in Walnut Creek would say, if you go to San Francisco, make sure you stay on the freeway. Don't get off the freeway in Oakland. If you get off the freeway, make sure that you roll up your windows because that's a very dangerous place. And that was just sort of the folklore about Oakland if you lived in Walnut Creek. If you cross the Oakland Hills, the Oakland Hills, which are kind of like the Himalayas culturally, even though they're not very high. And then I found out later on when I had friends in Oakland, they were reluctant to come to Walnut Creek. And I said, why would you not want to come to Walnut Creek? We can have lunch together. And uh, no, I don't think so. It wouldn't be safe. Wouldn't be safe. Walnut Creek is one of the safest cities in the world. What are you talking about? And my friend would say, have you heard of profiling? And they would share an experience. And they would be stopped, inevitably, invariably stopped, and sometimes humiliated. I had no knowledge of that. Well, Hillside and True Vine got together on a Sunday night. Now, my, my wife said, you'll be lucky to fill up your car with people that want to go to Oakland on Sunday night. But 80 of us came from Hillside. 80 of us came, and we had a fantastic evening together. Pastor Kerry and I stood up front. That might have been a bit of a visual. I'm not sure anybody had ever seen the black pastor, the white pastor standing together in friendship, not just as a formality, but, but locked arm in arm. And uh, I was about to say, why don't we get together and pray when Pastor Kerry overrode what I, what I was going to say and said, before we pray, we need to talk. What are you feeling? What are you honestly feeling right now? And slowly but surely, people began to share their fears, their sadness, their, um, their, their bias, um, their concerns. And, and we just stood there and we just listened and we just absorbed um, those feelings. And then we went into prayer and we mixed it up so we could all pray together. And that was the real beginning of our relationship. And those relationships, so many of them have continued over the years, even over the decades since then. It's what God wants to see happen. When I was at Hillside, I was invited once by Roy Fowler, former member of, uh, of Hillside, now retired and moved away. He was teacher at Mount Diablo High, High School, which is a very diverse school. And uh, I went in for a week and I got to do some teaching in some of his classes, social studies classes. And one day I was talking about 
relationships. And I was talking about, you know, some of the barriers and some of the inhibitions and some of the, the problems that, that arise in relationships. And obviously, teenagers know about that because they're just experiencing that now. And uh, I kind of put a trick question out there for this one class. I said, now imagine the house next door to you goes vacant and you get to choose who's going to be your new neighbor. And I put up on the, on the whiteboard, I put up 10 different nationalities, ethnicities, and I said, I want, you to, I want you to rank them from most preferred to least preferred, 1 to 10. Go for it. Then we'll talk about that in a few minutes. And so they did, and one student came up to me, a, a young lady, and she said, with a very concerned look on her face, she said, I'm not going to do this. And I said, why not? She said, because it's dumb. You haven't given us enough information. I can't make a decision about this based on the fact that they have a, a certain label to them. I'm, I'm not going to do it. And she kind of slammed down her fist on my desk and walked away. And I whispered to myself as she walked away, good for you. The one person who wouldn't be lured into my trap to expose the prejudice in our hearts. You know, we, we know how to sort of maintain a polite veneer on the surface because we don't want to cause trouble. But if you scratch that surface, if you dig down an inch, you'll find some things that aren't always pretty, aren't always nice, aren't always helpful, aren't always loving. And uh, that class just blew up. And they came up with their own sort of ratings, rankings based on the prejudice they had. And who was in the room? They were trying to be somewhat political as well, you know, and avoid you know, being too overt in terms of challenging somebody. But they all agree, almost all of them agreed, that the Iranian was at, was at the lowest, kind of like the Scythian in the, in the ancient world. And I asked them why, and they gave me all these reasons, all these stereotypes about, about why Iranians are unacceptable. And they, and they laughed, and they made jokes. And in the middle of the room is a young lady from Iran who had just been in this country a few years. And I knew she was there. And I could see her, I think, quietly weeping. But nobody noticed. And so I called on her and I said, you seem very sad at this moment. What are you, what are you feeling? And she couldn't speak. And I said, is it because you're from Iran? And the class got suddenly very silent. And then one of her friends stood up and said, she's not from Iran, she's Persian. Well, you know, Persia is the ancient name for modern Iran. And she calls herself Persian because she knows this is exactly how you will treat her if you believe she's from Iran, a country that the U.S. was in some conflict with at that time. Even among young people, and you would think, well, certainly we're getting rid of prejudice. It's, it's, it's passing away. The new generation, the next generation is going to show us how. But the next generation is also inheriting all this darkness. And they have their own human nature. And unless Christ intervenes for the next generation, we're going to continue to find new ways to abuse and exploit and hurt and demean and insult each other. And now our leaders do it on both sides. Don't look to the left or the right. Look above. Listen to the word coming from above. Look at Christ. Not only his example, but the source that he promises to be for you. 
to help you change your character, something on the inside. Don't just tell me what your values are. I want to know, what is your character? Who are you like? What are you like when no one's watching? What's really going on? Is there a dark corner in there? And finally, there's these words to us. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if, you, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Unity, the goal, the goal the uh, unapproachable goal of unity that we dream about and then give up on because we haven't seen it happen. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since you have been called to peace. Since you are God's chosen people, since you are wholly set apart for God's purpose and dearly loved, since you are watching him and listening to him and following Christ, the one he sent to us, since you are doing that, Now this is the effect, and this is the way you're going to relate to each other. This is the vision of what life can be, at least in this community, that then becomes an expression that can be a representation of the kingdom of God to the whole world. This is for you, Hillside Covenant Church. This is for you living in the San Francisco Bay Area. This is for you as an individual, and this is for you as a community. This is for you as a family. This is for you in order to extend your family and, extend, and, and expand your family and recognize others who are brothers and sisters with you. To make new friends that you never thought you would ever meet or ever get to know. To recognize that it is a sin to shut it down and to shrink the world. It is a sin to hold on to a grievance or a resentment. Forgiveness is the way forward. Acceptance is what God requires of us. The love of Christ is what wins in this battle that otherwise will never be won. In fact, it'll just continue to to stir up more and more bad trouble. I would hope that you would say along with the young lady in that class years ago, this is stupid. This is dumb. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to hold this anger, this rage, this slanderous thoughts, this malice in my heart toward anyone. I'm not going to do it. It's not good for me. I don't care if they deserve it or not. I'm not going to do it. Christ won't let me. He's calling me to something better and something purer and something more beautiful to be part of the solution to this for the sake of other people and the people that God loves. I'm not going to do it. I, I, I wish we were all together because I'd make you stand right now. I would make you say it out loud, you know, to swear with your hand up and say, I, I, I won't do that anymore. I renounce that. I give that up. I release that. I'll let God be the judge. I have no right doing that. And then to say, I want, to, I want God to continue to pour into my heart this compassion, this kindness, this humility, this this gentleness, this patience, that's what I want to show the world. It's so countercultural. It might even bring on persecution. Somebody might even laugh at you if you do that because they're stuck in some other world, in some other place with their instincts that are all revved up right now. 
and not going in a very loving or constructive direction. And believe me, this election coming up is not going to solve this all by itself because our hearts go on. And this problem continues because it's embedded in our hearts. And God has come into our world to make that change. So I refuse to do it. I won't do it. It's dumb. I won't go that way. But Lord, please fill up my heart with the love which is the headline over all of these virtues. And let your peace rule in my heart. Amen. Hillside, thank you for letting me uh, visit you today. I, wish, I, I do wish I was there. I wish we could talk further about all of this um, and even walk through this together. Um, I loved being there with you for 12 years. I always love visiting, and I have great confidence that he who began a good work in you will continue to carry it on and complete it in the day of Christ. What will that day be like, the day of Christ, when, when, when all is, uh, is resolved and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen to this picture given to us in the book of Revelation. This is the vision of God himself. This is in his heart. After this, John, John the prophet wrote, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Can you picture it? You can't count the number of people who were there. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. They were worshiping God, all of them together. They are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Finally, a place of peace and safety. Never again will they hunger. Think of all the hungry people. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, their good shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let that inspire you. Invest in that future that we have on the authority of the Word of God. Amen.